0: Just a few quick notes before the podcast starts. If you'd like to attend a live taping of The New Disruptors in New York City, in Brooklyn's Dumbo District, go to nearlyimpossible.org. The conference is sponsoring a taping on November 6th, 2013. The tickets are free. If you'd like to help support the production of this podcast directly, go to newdisrupt.org support to find out more about ways that you can become a patron. Welcome to The New Disruptors, a podcast that comes piping hot to your doorstep every week. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman, the editor and publisher of The Magazine. We're now part of the Boing Boing family of podcasts. You can find us at boingboing.net, as well as at newdisrupt.org. If you'd like to support the podcast directly, you can contribute at patreon.com. More details at the end of the podcast. Marion Call is an Alaskan Chantouse who, from finding an audience after winning a Firefly-related song contest in 2007, has run her music career as a grassroots effort. She connects with her fans constantly and directly, both through social media and crowdfunding, and sleeping on the floors during tours and house concerts. She spends a lot of time on the road, and we're talking right after Geek Girl Con 2013 in Seattle in October Thanks for being on the podcast.
1: Thanks so much for inviting me, Glenn.
0: It's a pleasure. And you're—I think you're uh, not exactly the poster child, but like the the can-do attitude that typifies Alaska. The <laughs> hard one. But you didn't start in Alaska. You started in Washington State. You found your way to Alaska.
1: That's right. Yes, I think if if, if there's a can-do attitude at all, I got that from Alaska. It uh, it taught me a thing or two. Uh, I grew up in Gig Harbor, and I moved up to Alaska in 2003. So this is my 10-year Alaska anniversary. I'm very proud. I'll have to have a big party when I get done with this tour. And uh uh yeah Alaska uh, I feel like changed me I think location geography can be important geography can be very important and geography can change you and uh, Alaska changed me an awful lot the person who left alaska left washington for alaska it was very different from the person who first struck out from alaska on tour so
0: <laughs> did you always sing i mean is this something that was a constant interest of yours um and that's developed to the current day do you find it you know later in life
1: no my family's all musical mm. it's a it's a it's a family trade we're like we're like the local plumbers i mean it's really it's something that my parents both independently did as a discipline growing up their whole lives and we as children did our whole lives and uh uh, my brother and sister are both uh, skilled musicians as well, and you can—I mean—you can hear them all on my records. They're part of my most essential music community growing up. So it was, it was our family common language, and uh, so everyone in my community growing up just about had had that as part of their uh, skill set.
0: So the the Car- the Carter family, the Wainwright family, <laughs> <Yeah>. the, uh, <laughs> the history yep. of it. Yep, was wonderful. And uh, one of the things I find. Uh, really interesting about, I guess, the modern age is that you can come out of nowhere and suddenly be everywhere in a community. So uh, you're, you really got your start... Breaking out, it was in 2007. Can you tell me about this contest? I hadn't heard this part of the story before. I know it's in your bio and so forth. But you entered a a song contest related to the Josh Whedon special. Firefly. I I didn't watch Firefly when it was first broadcast. I had to catch up later. All my friends loved the show.
1: I didn't either. I didn't see it until years later, I think. I had never, ever heard of Josh Whedon. I had never heard of Firefly for... uh, I'm trying to remember what year this was. Maybe 2006, 2007. Mm-hmm. I first heard about it. It was very late, and it just was such a great piece of art, and it really captured my imagination. I think it hit me at the right time, maybe. Uh, and I think art provokes more art. It always has. And I responded for the first time. I never. It was. I had never had a fandom before that I was aware of. I mean, I, th- I think I had many fandoms before, but I didn't think of them as such. This was the first time. I wanted to do something because I like something so much. I would have gone to a convention if I even knew there were such things. And of course there were, but I had never heard of it because I had my nose in, in my, in my classical music studies for the most part. And, uh, I, I don't know, I sought out other people who liked this for the first time. I was going to fan websites of this science fiction show and then deleting my browser history <laughs> and, uh, kind of embarrassed <laughs> of myself. And, um, but I really, really, Liked it. I really liked it. And I had an artistic response, which is to write several songs about the the universe that Joss Whedon created. It was fun. It was sort of um, a a mental exercise for me as a songwriter because I see everything as a writing exercise. And uh, I recorded uh, my first album right uh, not long after that. And uh, as it happened, I saw a blog post from a guy named Chris in Florida about a Firefly song contest related to a particular character. And I was I, I was almost floored with how strongly I wanted to enter. I was very confused. So I took two of the songs that I had just recorded for my first album, Vanilla, um, I chopped them up, I changed the chord progressions. I did this all in post. I never recorded the songs. I edited different versions of other stuff <laughs> that I had made. And, um, and I uh, then submitted two songs to the contest, and one of them won. And then began being sort of rebroadcast on various fan channels, like on uh, on fan podcasts. Really, it was the first place they were ever heard uh, for people who were in the community that were fans of Firefly and Serenity. Uh, I was confused by all this. I was very unfamiliar with this world.
0: And you're in Alaska, so you're not you're not interacting with folks yeah, all yeah, the time. Yeah, not, not interacting like with folks in real
1: space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had never heard of. Con- I think if I would stayed in Seattle, maybe after college, I would have heard of such things as, mm. as um, Emerald City Comic Con or PAX or anything like that. Although they were still it was still pretty early for them too. Um, and uh, but I I had never heard of anything. I, Star Trek conventions were really the only thing I'd heard of, and those were very abstract, far off. Uh, thing in my mind I didn't even know If they were still going
0: on Of this course seems sort of Obsessive to you You're Like well I guess People who are real fans Of this show That's been off the air Or whatever Or maybe the new series But it wasn't like
1: I think it never even Occupied that much space mm-hmm. In my mind I don't think I ever Thought about it I mean I, I uh, It
0: wasn't your thing anyway So
1: yeah. yeah I was I was Busy with other things mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking about it and But I had never Liked something so much That I wanted to do Something about it So much So I won the song contest The song began Getting broadcast uh, About um, Around the same time I released my first record um, little, just a little bit after winning the contest. And the little tiny push of publicity from this sort of fan-run, fan-entered contest uh, pushed me sort of over the edge on publicity for my new record, which was nice. And there were a few references to, kind of embedded Easter egg references to Firefly in uh, Vanilla, my first album. Just a, just a little bit. And if people pressed me for, for meaning in the songs, I would tell them, well, this song sounds like it's a love song, but actually it's kind of about spaceships. uh, Or it's actually about my interpretation of this particular uh, Shakespeare thing. Or it's actually about a class I took on colonialism and and hierarchical versus lateral models in blah blah blah, 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 blah 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 very nerdy stuff um i tend not to write straight up love songs <laughs> i tend to use them as as masks for other concepts that interest me
0: well i've seen you say i mean they might be giants and uh yep. and jonathan colton too and jonathan colton cites they might be giants as an influence yeah. too so it's this progression of like like you're writing about yes. love but it might involve a robot or a spaceship
1: yeah or i might use those as metaphors for mm. something that i feel is a very human condition or it i, I don't know i think that um we understand things very very clearly through the lens of relationships and songs uh, that interest me are about relationships even if the relationship i happen to be thinking of is a fictitious uh, outer space one so um <laughs> i think there's truth to be gleaned there <laughs> or those stories wouldn't move us you know yeah. like star wars moves us or some other cultural Touchstone moves us because there's a bigger truth there. It's not just, you know, lasers and aliens, although that stuff's fun too.
0: Well, do you buy into the notion that science fiction, one of the reasons it's popular and maybe even become more popular, is that it lets you tell stories in a way that detaches you so much. I mean, it's, it's the modern allegory. Oh, yeah, it's like, yeah. it's, it's an allegory about space. So we can talk about politics. So we can talk yes, about Exactly.
1: I, I grew up on the good old authors. I grew up reading Asimov and Ray Bradbury. And I had, I had some books by Ray Bradbury that are read obsessively over mm-hmm. and over. And they were very, I, I saw clearly that these were, you know, political and social allegories that they were talking about, you know, about, uh, nuclear arms. They were talking about, uh, uh civil rights. You know, it was, it was obvious. And, uh, I feel like all of the pieces of science fiction and fantasy and sort of geek culture that have captured me, including Firefly... Have only captured me because they say much bigger, broader things about people and they happen to use a fantastic backdrop to express stuff that might be a little bit harder to express in the everyday or a little less glorious and fun to watch in the The, everyday. And I'm interested in doing the same thing, really.
0: You're willing to embrace it though. And a lot of people, uh, I mean, I think I feel like this is maybe even very modern, is like the last few years is the embrace of geek culture or even, you don't even have to call it geek culture anymore, but it's the embrace of that like alternative view of universe through which we have mm-hmm. a lens like it used people would reject that because they would worry about getting labeled and put into a ghetto of well these guys do I, like i just had the folks mm-hmm. on her making or the director of um the upcoming Dr. Demento film.
1: Oh, yes, I heard that.
0: Yeah, and so they're, and they a uh, great idea. And Dr. Demento was, it used to be it, 20 yes. years ago, you would have might've have gotten your start by sending a tape to Dr. Demento. He would have played it and be like, Marion Cole, she understands it. She's one of the few people. And today it's like, <laughs> no, the whole culture. She I know, know I gotta send Shark
1: it. Week to some more places
0: like that. It's great. Um, <laughs>
1: Uh, no, I definitely agree. Have you ever seen uh, Napoleon Dynamite?
0: No, I just, I'm embarrassing that I haven't. No. That was a very significant I've seen scenes song for from me. it.
1: Um, I saw it at a very early screening before mm-hmm. it broke big at my college. Happened. to have a screening, um, and I uh, there's a scene in the end where the popular cheerleader is running for school council. I won't spoil anything for you, I hope.
0: But, uh, <laughs> I a, think a cheerleader a, is
1: running for school council. Isn't there this a statute is limitations the most... on
0: spoilers, though? Can't you? I don't know. It, uh, oh, wow. Years? Has it
1: been ten years? Nine years? Nine years. No, oh, my goodness.
0: No goodness. Spo- we have a spoiler horn. We can play later.
1: Okay. All right. Well, spoilers. <laughs> if you haven't watched the end of Napoleon Dynamite. Um, I found that movie very moving because I've, I think um, – Uh, In the end, you sort of realize that the popular cheerleader kids may be popular, but only a very few people truly identify with them, even though they seemed back then to dominate the cultural dialogue. They felt like the top dogs, but in fact, there were very few people who really fit into that category. And in the meantime, you have these awkward, painfully, you know, fumbling uh, sort of underdog characters who most of us, in fact, the majority of us probably identified with in high school for one reason or another. And... Uh, I definitely felt like that. I mean, I had music was my whole life in high school. Sort of and academics, I was really, really a nerd. I spent all my free time studying. I recreationally took the SATs multiple times because I found it fun. I shouldn't have said that on a podcast. Oh my god, <laughs>
0: it's, uh, we're all in the same boat. Don't you know, worry, everyone listening. So to. Uh,
1: yeah, and I was I was really, really a nerd, and I didn't I I didn't think about it much, but I always felt like the sort of uh, uh, jock and cute girl. Uh, that I class that I never fit into was the dominant dialogue and the -hmm. the dominant narrative at that time. Now looking back and thinking of just the sheer numbers of people, a lot more of us were probably awkward and fumbly and into these things, but sort of secretly because we felt like we were not part of the dominant narrative. And now we realize as we sort of continue to come out of the closet in this massive cultural unveiling that probably started with MySpace. I think that's my theory anyway, Um, Mm -hmm. that, uh, that so many more of us were that way than we thought. And I I like that, especially for girls, especially for girls.
0: I just had this conversation on Twitter, Buffy or Willow?
1: I actually, Buffy is not a franchise I know.
0: Oh, wow. It's another Josh yeah. Whedon thing. Another it's Josh a, Whedon thing. I'm catching yeah. up. I'm actually at season three, however many years mm-hmm. later, but it's Willow because Willow's the brainy, quiet one who's incredibly awkward, and she breaks through it over time, season after mm-hmm. season. She becomes more and more out there. Mm-hmm. Buffy is troubled. She has a destiny. She's you know <laughs> the pretty girl. And she's fighting against her cheerleader, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. But it's that it's the it, Willow is somehow she's more vulnerable, but she's also the one that's just so much more nerdy than the rest of us. Um, but so so Firefly. I mean, this is this neat tie-in. So it got you your start into um, you've got to break into a larger culture at a perfect time when you're ready to release the album so i know that releasing an album is nothing like it used to be and tell me what so what was it like 2008 this is five years ago so it's actually mm-hmm. again again another different time how did you go about you know like you know recording we all know like home studio is mm-hmm. not a big deal right editing tools are all available yeah but so what was the release process in 2008 when you put out an album yeah
1: oh 2007 actually 2007, so I didn't okay. 2008 mm-hmm. was got to fly i think did i have that right going goodness sakes, or was it the other way around?
0: It's, see, it's so long ago. In internet years, it's a thousand uh, years ago.
1: I know, I know. It was, it was the era of MySpace. Mm-hmm. Um, and I Still, really right. Yes, it was the era of MySpace. And, it was, and um, I was a little late to MySpace. I was not an early adopter at that point, although I had been on Facebook since the first few weeks of its inception. Mm-hmm. And then kind of forgot about it after college. Uh, until later, I guess. <laughs> MySpace was really a revelation to me because it was the first time I ever talked to strangers on the internet. A lot of other cool people were, you know, chatting with strangers from yeah. way back when, but I was still kind of a kid. Like my, I, I was really, really into goofing around online. But that started with sort of, you know, renewing library books on the library system from home, which was terribly exciting, and um, you know, playing a few little games. The conventional wisdom for me as a kid, as a young girl, was don't talk to strangers on the yeah. internet, and that yeah. was probably very good advice. Yeah. Uh, and in college, I was too busy to think of talking to strangers on the internet. I was very, very busy. <laughs> I had a lot to do. Uh, so I get out of college. I have free time for the first time. And there's this MySpace thing, and you don't have to give any personal information out. I mean, they can't really email you directly unless you give them your information. I thought, and it was fun. I started making pen pals and realizing how you know that it was it was less threatening than I had imagined you know growing up, and um, and that there were some really wonderful people out there. There was a sort of first flush of of the thrill of the beginning of social networking. You know, it was really exciting and really empowering to meet other people like you who are not in your town based on your interests instead of on geography and happenstance. It was great. I met all these other Firefly fans, which was the first reason I really went there, right? Because Nathan Fillion was on MySpace. He had, oh, a, right, he had right. a big MySpace That's following funny. He had a big, huge fan scene I was part of that There was so much drama between the fans on his comments list It was great, I love it And, um, and I met other people there um, Who I felt really comfortable talking with Though, of course, only on MySpace I never gave them personal info mm-hmm. um, This was the beginning of something big for me I found accidentally my first MySpace music page I don't even remember what band it was In fact, it might have been The Long Winters, oddly um, yeah, oh, well, that's <laughs> yeah, John Roddick oh, yeah, and uh, a band with members from Alaska. And um, <laughs> that's funny. I found MySpace music pages, and suddenly something really clicked for me. I was I don't have to do music the way it was done because that didn't interest me at all. I was a, a classically trained, did a lot of jazz, um, grew up on. Uh, like you said They Might Be Giants And Joni Mitchell
0: Really it's a great range. And,
1: uh, Yeah it's a wonderful uh, Just whatever records My parents happened to have You know kind of like everyone Weird Al You know the mm. the, the basics um, We had a great station In Seattle Do you remember Kid Star 1250
0: No no, that's It was back I mean, in the
1: 90s the Oh it was wonderful There was, a, oh, there was a kids radio station I used to work for It played, played kind of Milder novelty music As novelty music Was really becoming a thing mm-hmm. and, um, and comedy and stuff That was suitable for kids It was great It was so wonderful Oh I loved Kid Star uh, anyway, I, uh, I I was not at all interested in doing music sort of the commercial way, but MySpace music, I suddenly realized, it, it just, it clicked for me very fast. Like, almost instantly, I felt like I saw this third way. It was new to me. It was probably not new to a lot of other musicians, but it was very new to me. I had never heard of really indie music. Um, I didn't know what it was. I didn't, I was, I, was, I mostly listened to Beethoven. <laughs> and, uh, and... As I explored MySpace and began realizing, I wouldn't have to get a label. I wouldn't have to get anyone's approval. I wouldn't have to ask anyone for anything. I would just go do this. I just go. I, I don't know how to make a record, but I think I know all how to do all the steps along the way, or I could learn them. You know, I knew how to edit audio from volunteering at my local NPR station oh, at KSKA yeah. in Anchorage, and uh, thanks, very huge thanks to them. And I learned, um, you know, I I had all the music skills I needed, band leading and so on. And I I had everything else that I needed. Uh, I I could do graphic design. I could do the writing. I I knew how to manage it. So I just booked a studio and I said, okay, let's try this. And this was in large part thanks to Firefly, making me feel like I could make a big piece of art like that. That seems cool but there were real concrete steps. Someone wrote it and then someone sold it. And then someone, you know, they, they ran the numbers and made things work. Then they cast it and then they arranged to shoot it. And then they shot it and then they edited it. And then they, you know, there's just a series of steps and nothing had ever seemed like that to me before. It was a great moment. It was really great. It felt very freeing. So I went and made an album, uh, with my family down in Tacoma Mm -hmm. on, uh, on Pacific. And I, uh, only afterwards realized. Oh wait! Now I have to sell this because I just <laughs> I just spent
0: <laughs> I just spent eight or nine
1: thousand dollars on uh, on on this record that I didn't have, and now I have to sell a uh, thousand copies of it. And then I'll you know if I sold five hundred, I think, or 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 seven hundred, I would make that money back. That's when the Firefly fan community found me mm-hmm. and um, started asking me to do things and chatting with me and inviting me to come to Texas and inviting me to come to San Diego, inviting me to go places. And I was okay, this is weird. I don't understand any of this. So I, a lot of people grew up really having an understanding of what it was like to be a band and going to clubs and stuff like that. I have no idea. I had no idea. I really was learning it all backwards and, and inventing it. And uh, maybe that's how I arrived at my approach which is just really, it, it's it's very square because I'm really square. And I just, <laughs> I don't resonate with a lot of the rest of the music universe, but, but, but I resonate with the nerd universe. And I was like, okay, I can figure this out. With you went from approach.
0: recording an album to like, then like play, you know, staying in people's houses and playing house performances and things like that, like house concerts.
1: Yeah. Something well, like I heard of, step. um, uh, where did I first hear of house concerts? I don't. Remember they exactly. They go back but decades, but I don't remember. Oh, yes, they've about been them, around forever. But
0: they started becoming more popular, I think, when people could make the direct connection. Someone would say, like, hey, come to Texas. Yeah. We can get the X hundred dollars for your well, flight. You can stay with us, and everyone's going to buy an album or whatever. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It, yeah, it, yeah. it started,
1: um, yeah. And um, I don't remember exactly when they got on my radar or when I played my first one, but. Um, but I remember it making so much sense immediately after that, that it was the best way to do things, but and, and, and preferable musically to me too. And just all, so many of my best concerts have been in people's homes. I just started doing that, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, How and many I
0: people do, do that. I mean, is it varies? There oh, there's ten, tons of people. So, tons of
1: people. All, actually, oh, almost no, I mean,
0: when you do the concert. Oh, I mean, when you do the concert, is it? uh I mean, I've seen some places where people have enormous homes, or tiny homes. I mean, is oh, it I have
1: played in the smallest places. I have played in. I played literally in the projects in Toronto. Mm-hmm. In I was I, I went into a building. I was like, oh, this is in fact the definition of the projects. That is where I am. <laughs> and as <laughs> I got onto a freight ale- elevator with about forty people, That's awesome. <laughs> it was getting
0: crowded into an apartment playing. But
1: yeah, yeah, there it was. Yep, it was amazing. I had a great view. Um, um, I have played in very small places and, uh, and I generally, you know, as long as they're clean, I don't flinch. It can be more worthwhile in terms of connection, uh, in terms of some of the intangibles, uh, you know, you can get paid in money, but you can also, there are lots of other returns and ways to invest in your business. And at a concert, there's the money part of it, but there's also lots and lots and lots of intangibles going on. And a concert can be great for a lot of reasons besides the money. Um, so house concerts generally are better in terms of the money. Um, but they're also far, far superior in the intangibles, you know, Mm -hmm. in the level of connection you feel to people and the friendships you develop in the, in the connection they have to you. If you play in a club where they go hear music once a week, then they might remember you if you really stand out. But if they hear you in someone's home, a place that they don't normally hear music, you're in their brain forever. And that's really, um, and, and. There in mind, I mean, I really remember people and connect with people better. I remember their city better. I get to find out what's going on in town. I get to find out what people in Indiana think of people in Illinois, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone laughs about it over drinks and like discusses local politics and local history with me. It's just great.
0: You're never a tourist. You're almost never in a hotel. You're always in people's homes. So you're always yeah. in, in their lives.
1: I've, and uh, traveling any other way seems very strange to me now, right? It's really you know, the carpets all look the same. I don't get it. <laughs> I
0: don't get it. Hotels are hotels are I think are actually <laughs> only one hotel in the world, or maybe there's a few and they're when you walk in the door of one it's actually an interdimensional portal to that universal. Well, hotel. Having, having
1: stayed in hotels of very widely varying price ranges, I can say that's not quite true. But I would say that maybe there's only one in each
0: category. <laughs> yeah. of, each category of price. Yes, yes. You started something very early. That seems. Um, I feel like this is one reason why people cite you as an example. You know, I know it's wonderful to be a human being and be cited well, as an example. You, you've
1: heard of you've heard of me? It's amazing. <laughs> that's right. No, it's true. It's people.
0: When I said I that's said great. I'm looking for more guests for the show, and everyone mm-hmm. said, Marion and call." Because well, you keep reinventing yourself, and I think uh, you know. So Kickstarter only started in I want to say like mid to late 2009. I think is when it when it actually launched. It didn't have any real mm-hmm. projects of scale. And I think it was 2009. You came up with this donors donors circle mm-hmm. idea, which I know other people were doing a little bit like it. But for it seems like as an independent artist, a couple of years into your career, just starting mm-hmm. to do house concerts, that seems like a like a a stretch to have come up with that and. Was it? Did it come out of all those connections, those personal connections you'd made? You'd said these people are actually willing to be my patrons, so I can ask them for this.
1: Uh, no, it came out of. Um, I can tell you exactly where it Whoa. came out of. It came out of. Um, it came out of uh, very suddenly being divorced and having nowhere to live. Uh, That's where it came from. Okay. Uh, the yeah. best ideas come from that kind of place. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I. Uh, I uh, wound up. This all went down in Seattle. Actually, I kind of I, I wound up um, uh, very suddenly and unexpectedly for me um, uh, divorced. I'm so sorry. amicably, no, mm-hmm. you know it was it was a, a growing up thing. We married very young, and um, and I didn't have any resources. I, I had sunk a lot of money into into this new job. You know, I'd done some tours, yeah. uh, I would made some fans, but I was still at the very beginning. And I was I was progressing very fast. I mean, from one year to the next, this was two thousand nine uh I was already at a zero income level, which is very good for a new business. (laughs) I was very good. I'm not in debt. My outflow and my inflow were at zero and I was touring and that is really amazing. Mm -hmm. So I was I was okay. But without a, you know, without my husband's income, I was suddenly a whole different question. Very suddenly. And, uh, and I had to, you know, a process this whole very suddenly being divorced thing, which was not the easiest and b figure out what to do next. Cause I had no job. I had no prospects. I was not at home. My home was still really in Anchorage and I didn't really have any stuff. I didn't have a car. And I was going, okay, now what? I was quite literally sitting on a curb, uh, of the street here and going, okay, now what? And, uh, I sat at my brother's house for a while and played video games. Um, thank That's God for Legend does. of Zelda. Mm-hmm. Best thing ever. It's totally therapeutic, and uh, and I was, you know, I was I was asking myself, okay, so I need to go get a real job now, right? And I, you know, went and stayed with my best friend, talked things over, and then I just decided, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna try this. I gotta, if nothing else, I gotta get a car. I gotta get back to Alaska. And the donor circle, as it exists, was what occurred to me. I knew what I was gonna do. I had an art project. I want to make this art project. I want you to help me. Here's how. Mm-hmm. Um, I want you to fund me at one of these levels. You've already heard my previous work. You've heard my first two albums. And I hope that you believe my next one will be good. If you join the donor circle, you can hear previews of the new songs. And you will get a live production blog. You'll get photos from production. You'll get to hear all the details. You'll get a blooper reel, all this stuff, right? And that was not at all a new concept. I've heard of this before. It wasn't mm-hmm. It wasn't Trent Reznor. Who was it? There was a musician who famously, early on, offered different levels of funding for his oh. record, or different prices for his record. And one was, of them was like I'll signed drum skins. Because, and, yeah, it was right. No, I know this. Oh, uh, but I'm so bad at names. But it was, it was much, much earlier than
0: that. Mm-hmm. You know, and this
1: was just... Going but off of that, different levels of it's true. It was somebody access. with
0: like you know somebody who had millions of people, and they'd sold right. It wasn't somebody at that, at that level, like mm-hmm. a, you know a superstar. It's like, yeah, it was
1: before. It was before um, was it Radiohead? Radiohead,
0: yeah, because the, they were the the prominent. They were more like a you know get, pay what you want kind of. Yeah, it was thing before Radiohead, but it was um, but, but yeah, yeah. That's why I see it feels like my mo- you know
1: what my model was really based on mm-hmm. it was based on the NPR model. Right. Sustaining member, become right. a sustaining member, or if you want, join at the twenty dollars a month for ten right. months level, and then you'll be a two hundred dollars silver member. You know, it was right. it was exactly based on the Let's NPR model because that's what I understood
0: on the air. How do did
1: how did Ryan call it? on the air? Call in to pledge your that's support right. now. Uh, that's a pitch I knew backwards, and yeah. it's one that I understood very deeply growing up with my parents being working musicians. You know, it's like this is this is how it works. You provide something of value, and you then sort of have to convince people that it is of value, which you could see as a demeaning task, but I see as a very natural task, considering that there are a lot of other more pressing things Mm -hmm. on their mind. A lot of the time you have to sort of remind people that some of the most important things in their lives are in fact the most important things (laughs) in their lives. You know, the experiences we have along the way. And if you keep reminding people of that, they usually feel good about it. And if you are asking them to volunteer something that's different than charging them and barring them and keeping them out. And I've always found the asking to be much more pleasant for me as a person and much more productive. And I find that when people come to my concerts, if I ask them to voluntarily pitch in, um, instead of charging at the door, they have a very different mentality. If I, if I charge at the door, they come in with their arms crossed saying, you know, impress me, make it worth my money. And if I ask them to consider carefully what tonight was worth to them after they've heard it, then they have to stop and ask themselves, how much was this worth to me? How much did I enjoy it? And that's not something I can quantify with a cover charge amount, you know? So it's, it's really, I, that's, and that's totally from NPR. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: It's good, but the, the people like to be patrons. I think this is mm-hmm. something we learned from, this is the modern age too, right? I mean, years of Kickstarter mm-hmm. now show the scale at which people want to be patrons. I think mm-hmm. Etsy even shows it to some extent because people think they're buying into Even if it's not all crafts, but it is a lot of crafts. Mm -hmm. People feel they're buying into an authentic experience, which is another person at the other end, and they're helping to – they don't only get the output of it like music or a handmade tie or something. They also are uh, Mm -hmm. enabling a kind of creativity that they think is important and want to exist in the world.
1: In a way, it's a response to the gatekeepers that really dominated production for so long. They dominated what stuff got sold in stores unless it happened to be your local store, which may or may not have what you want. Um, it, they dominated, you know, music and film and so many other things just because the costs of production were so high. The gatekeepers left and so many average Joes realized I can get exactly what I want. I can get something that is more me than I ever thought I could find, whether it's this funny thing on Etsy, I can get something that is a better gift for my wife than I could ever find before. And because it's just so her and, and by doing so, by finding exactly what they want and music that speaks to them much more closely than the other stuff did, you know? and by participating in its creation i i don't know i feel like that's that's a natural response to a weirdly short period in time when people controlled those modes of
0: i love that you know. say that i hear that from so many people that there is that this that maybe there was a 50 to 70 year period in which mass media dominated things in such a way and there was such mm-hmm. a gatekeeper thing and that we're watching this destruction of that mm-hmm. at this point we're going back to the old ways so it doesn't mean there won't be superstars yeah. it just means that there may be superstars but then there's a position for people who are not superstars but are not completely incapable oh, yeah. of making any part of their living from work.
1: Oh, I'm deeply uninterested in getting famous. I think that sounds like a terrible <laughs> idea.
0: Uh, a am, certain level is useful, but not very much. Well, I'm right? interested
1: in sustainability because I'm, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm interested in sustainability models on a much bigger scale, too. I mean, I think it's a, a permanent growth model. I feel like is very bad for business in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, and it's certainly unrealistic in this day and age. So One of the bands
0: you like, they might be giants. They went through that problem is they became very popular briefly. They're filling stadiums, mm-hmm. and then it fell away because they're quirky. They do really interesting stuff, and they went through a a big spike and they recover from it. There's a good New Yorker piece from several years ago about Mm -hmm. how they sort of they, didn't feel, they weren't that necessarily disappointed by it, but it was not good for oh. them necessarily to become super popular. It seems like a terrible
1: burden, yeah. and it seems in the end it just as expensive people. as being, you know. <laughs> right. I feel like I could earn almost just this a similar amount when it comes to like what you invest back mm-hmm. into it, what you churn back into it, you know. I love how musicians, compared to movie stars, for example, on the, on the very, very famous end, are so often like running out of money and going broke because yeah. they don't realize how much less they earn than other famous people because so much of it gets churned back into production. They get charged. Right, they get charged you know, so that's, a, that's how it goes.
0: It's the Amanda Palmer story. I mean, that's a lot. Delar- it's, it's, delar- delar- yeah, it's every story. every It's every Kickstarter story.
1: People it. imagine when you have a lot of dollars associated mm-hmm. with you that you are keeping them.
0: And that is really not it's true. Not, get, that's really not how it goes. Donor Circle, you came up with this mm-hmm. idea. You'd seen, you mm-hmm. know. It's, it's, oh, like here's, the other, here's yeah. the
1: other place it came from. Uh, in college, I studied medieval women's literature, among other things. Yes. And-
0: <laughs> I'm fascinated by the next thing that you say here.
1: The patronage model is so old. There's nothing new about it. I mean, I realize that it's exciting right now, but the the tools we have made available to ourselves are really the same tools that have always existed to fund artists. And there there are really only a few ways artists have ever been funded. And uh, I think that there were superstars back then too. Mm -hmm. And there were superstar patrons and there were medium-sized patrons and there were community patrons. I mean, if your village had a good fiddler and you wanted them to stick around and you wanted them to stay alive and keep fiddling, everybody fed them, even though they didn't work you know i mm-hmm. you needed the fiddler right yeah. and so that was like a very much community based model where everyone kind of microfunded or you have your Catherine of Aragon or your you know you have your big big patrons occasionally who would keep
0: Everyone court musicians the medici's but they did a lot for the art <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> you know, the Rockefellers yeah. or the Carnegies or whatever. There's a book but it's called, a, I think it's yeah. Art and
0: Experience, and I'll have to find it. I'll put it in the show notes. But it's a book about uh, Renaissance Italy, and it talks about, they looked at the contracts people signed, and it would say, a patron oh, would yeah. say, there's going to be this much blue, because blue is very mm. expensive. there would be this much blue paint Absolutely. in the painting, and it's going to be this quality of blue paint, and it will be the because hands. Because that's how will you show off. Right, exactly. Yeah. The hands will be such, the painting will be such and such, and they specified all this. Just like a record label. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just yeah. like a
1: record label, right? I mean, it's not, it's, it's, it's nothing not new. It's nothing new. The funny thing is, back then, their fame or their renown or their reach or their whatever was really limited by geography. Mm-hmm. And no, it's not. Mm-hmm. No, and uh, was it Bach got paid for the Goldberg Variations in a bag, one one single bag of gold
0: or a cup of gold? Or something oh, that's fine, like that That's there. right. You do that for. There's someone commissioned it. Was it for? Sleep? It was a pri- No, that was the no. other. Oh, I don't remember that story. I'll get this. I'm told embarrassed. You, it's you been, been way too show long. Notes, we put this in, later, check the show notes. We'll have the story.
1: We'll <laughs> have the story there. Well, I'm embarrassed. I should remember this, but it's all slipping away. It's, well, College is too long. This ago.
0: is what the internet is our outboard brain. This is why we can, I know. You know Checking it. Later. I'm going to
1: say something wrong though, and then they're all going to correct we'll me. Add, add, on we'll Twitter. edit it out. No one will hear this part
0: of it because we're editing it out. <laughs> no, no, let them hear kidding. it. We'll be honest. <laughs> I won't do it at all. But it's a donor circle. So I'm fascinated by this. Is sorry. No, no. This is we circle the circle of life. We circle back around. Is is this was successful for you then? It
1: kept alive It yeah. got me out of that it got me out of sitting on a curb, you mm-hmm. know, in Seattle. It that got me car, it got me back tail. to Alaska. It got me to into a recording studio. Mm-hmm. It got me through a very very long time of not really having a place to be. Um I just kept touring. It's a great mm-hmm. solution uh, <laughs> when you don't have a space. And uh and is that, I is that
0: when I read there was some story online where I think uh someone was writing a review and they said, "Oh, we met Marion because we went in Craigslist, we were buying her stuff when she was leaving town." We've oh my from God! Yeah, from you. yeah,
1: that's right. One of my filmmaker friends—they just did a beautiful piece uh, we we worked on together for uh, Indie Alaska. Which, if you want some interesting viewing, they're mm. little like four, five, six-minute shorts about really weird people in Alaska, and they're wonderful. They're easy to find on YouTube. But
0: they mentioned, so they did one about selling, me because yeah, selling your stuff I was selling my tour. table. He bought <laughs> my
1: table before I ever knew him, and now we're friends because we're he's in public media, and I, I awesome. go bum around the NPR station when I'm back in Anchorage. So, uh, yeah. but, so you
0: left, but you, so being on tour, man, you didn't have the fixed residence, but you were able to, but I still was there. able to
1: record mm-hmm. in very good studios here in Seattle, some of them. Um, and, uh, and in LA and in New York and in Austin and in Anchorage. And I went to where my musicians were that I wanted to work with, but people in my musical community, I chased them down. It took, I, I spent two years on the production of this record, but because I had the donor circle and because they trusted me and yeah. because I was sending them hopefully progress reports, you know, not, sometimes lots of them, sometimes few of them, I would keep updating them. like mm-hmm. Here's where we're at. Here's where we're at. Here's where we're at. And new people would continue to sign up. And when I, and I would do a fundraiser probably once or twice a year to say, here, I'm going to sell and auction some things to keep me going, because yeah. uh, touring is expensive, but for me, uh, staying home is more expensive.
0: Because you'd be, and so people are, you're constantly meeting people through, so it's not, mm-hmm. because a lot of people go in the studio, but that wasn't what you're doing. You're out and about, you're going to studios in different Yeah, that's why it took so long. meeting people. If, right. I had,
1: if I had been able to stay in one place and work on the record, it would not have taken two years, but I was traveling constantly. Mm-hmm. And uh, in some ways, making as anchor points places where these musicians were, and I would go there, and you know, I would come through LA again and stop and work with my mix and master guy toward the end. Every time I was in LA, Same. I would stop and go to his house, and we'd work. On it, and uh, and which took a long time. <laughs> well,
0: a lot of independent musicians mm-hmm. try not to work with too many collaborators. They, I mean, this is the like Jonathan Colton was working in his, mm-hmm. you know, uh, his. Apartment and recording his home studio by himself for a long time. It wasn't until okay. a much later album that he actually started to collaborate with other people. But you seem to have the spirit of wanting to work with other people because you're traveling. It seems like you're encountering. I mean, even just you know making your trip so you could be with people you want. Well, to I also with, don't
1: play. I also don't play for myself. I mean, mm-hmm. I play the typewriter and I play the kazoo <laughs> and I play um a mean sort of backup synth patch or. You know, as long as the notes aren't really moving. Oh, much. So you need,
0: you need musicians. I played bass for my album mm-hmm. once, but
1: yeah, I, I need everyone else. Mm-hmm. I, I I need them. I rely on them, and it's uh and so I chase them down, and they are kind enough to work with me. Um, and I uh, you know, I just ring them up, say, hey, I'm going to be in town. Do you have an hour? We'll meet at your house. We'll record this little bit. Oh,
0: that's great. You know,
1: I did a lot of it on just a little tiny, really cheap interface my on my own laptop. And then other bits of it I was doing in very expensive studios. It's really funny. Um, and I just did it as I could. And that's that's okay with me. You know, How, uh, <laughs> It's a little... it's it's it's. I have earned my indie cred, I guess. You know? Yeah, that's right. you, you <laughs> I've got my wings. You
0: did it, that's that kind of like you left... You, left, you didn't mm-hmm. do the uh, performing in the bars for years and coffee shops and hand-selling, mm-hmm. whatever. It's like you went out on the road and, and I... It was I, just... I
1: worked it. I worked and worked and worked it. And it was um, in 2010, I didn't quite know how to make things work or make things happen. Mm-hmm. I was kind of, I was like a little more than halfway through the record, but couldn't finish it without earning more and uh, couldn't stay where I was without earning more. And I decided to do a 50 States tour and I went to all 50 States ambitious. and I went to almost all of Canada. Um, yes. And uh, it was, it was ambitious, but it's also, you know, when you don't have a place to land except for the state of Alaska as a whole, which is not <laughs> that specific. It, it made sense at the time. Was good... Also, I was younger and I had a lot more energy. Um.
0: This, is the, this is the advantage. <laughs> this is, uh, Wikipedia has a little. This is, the, this is the 49 is greater than 50 tour. Was that? Yeah, I,
1: I call it the 49 to 50 tour when I say it out loud, but uh, the symbol is greater than.
0: Yeah. Well, I have to read you Wikipedia in its marvelous, but it says it on your page about it. it says the title, The sentence is wonderful. The title of the tour, while mathematically incorrect, is done so purposely to reflect her Alaskan pride Which, which seems <laughs> accurate But very, very Wikipedia-ish too
1: Well, I'm uh, frequently when I'm writing I'll use a, uh, that carrot, you know, to indicate directionality Like sort of a shortcut oh, yeah. for now yeah. This leads to that, leads yeah. to that, leads to that which gives me yeah, I get these little carrots, so that carrot happens to mean greater than As well, so oh, I use 49 to 50 In that sense, yeah, yeah. from Alaska to, to the other 50 sense, states yeah. And from Alaska to Hawaii Because that's mm-hmm. the 50th state, we're mm-hmm. the 49th, they're the 50th So, and, and that's where I wound up it. Right. Yeah, oh, <laughs> at, at this, I thought this through Very carefully place. Oh, we beat them by, like, six weeks, I think. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and also, 49 is uh, bigger than any of the other 50 states. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm mm-hmm. sure you know.
1: Texas. I'm sure you know this.
0: Um. This is true. I know Alaska. <laughs> There's a lot to be proud about Alaska. It's a big state. It's it's, it's
1: very state. interesting to me. I Yeah, it's not – I wouldn't say state pride so much mm-hmm. as um, – uh, as to make a a pun on about six levels at the same time with one symbol, you know, so yeah. because that was fun to me.
0: But so fear, I mean, fear, Alaska is fiercely independent, like independent at a level that I think almost no other state has, except
1: Hawaii, I would say. Oh,
0: that's interesting. We're, we're paired with Hawaii, I feel like, in that we,
1: we go to the islands. they understand Self determination. Yeah
0: on its own thing it, we it's, relate
1: to the party I mean we 've only been a state fifty years fifty one fifty
0: two it's not a long it's not a long time it, uh, it and this was we talk, I was just saying using the word fierce this is the album something fierce is what came out of it
1: out of the donor the first, circle yes that was the donor circle project they mm-hmm. were formed to create something fierce and we created it and well, it was interesting to me. I didn't, I mean, I don't realize this until later. I don't realize a lot about my business strategy until yeah. later. It's, it's terribly intuitive. I'm afraid. I mean, my boyfriend is now teaching me to make spreadsheets in advance. It's <laughs> very beneficial, uh, but, when um, you have
0: nothing, something is always better than nothing. But when you that's have how it's been for a long yeah, time. When you have something, then you can have a yeah, spreadsheet.
1: Yeah, 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 uh, and yeah. So when I did my Kickstarter, I had a spreadsheet, because so I was starting with something. Uh, but when I did the 50 States Tour, I didn't have a spreadsheet. Yeah. I just went. I yeah. just drove. Um, and and people were really amazingly generous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked my. I just worked and worked and worked. I played every night. It was like being a troubadour. A troubadour was the French femi- uh, feminine form of that word. Is It's just a traveling... Uh, a traveling singer you just you travel and you play and you you Literally and, and, you sang for your and there's supper. A, there's a, yeah, I sang for my supper every day. And there's a fraternity of people who've done this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, I'm not alone. I'm not unique.
0: Uh, if you read Steve Martin's book, it's fascinating to know how when he was getting started in a comedy, he did the same thing. He was out, I mean, he wasn't mm-hmm. staying in people's houses, but he was going to comedy clubs that were tiny. And he mm-hmm. and his buddy who, like, was the roadie, they would travel around in a VW Bug. They'd sleep at it sometimes. Sometimes they'd sleep with friends or cheap motels. And he spent years on the road. He was an overnight success by spending several years oh, doing yeah. this, you know, like uh, being that funny is, for himself. That is supper. frequently the story of Overnight success is yeah. that they
1: did something like that, and that's you could it's. There's this wonderful um, relief of meeting someone else who is a musician on tour, because frequently people who have never been a musician on tour or comedian or what have you will say the ex- exact words, "You're living the dream," eh? ah. and I just, it's it's very it's it's sweet, oh, it's intended doing, sweetly, yeah, um, right. and and oh. with sort of a tone of of admiration yeah. and of desire to leave the humdrum uh, routine. But when you meet. Anyone else who has ever been on tour, there's there's, a, there's the immediate look in each other's faces, nod, yes, I understand, I know, yes, we know, we understand one another. We know what this is like. We are part of it. <laughs> it's
0: hard, yeah. relentless work, and it's, it's, and it's work, work, work. Right? And there's
1: psychological consequences I don't think you can really understand um, until you've done it, especially at the beginning. When I had, I had not been to most of the country, I'm a West Coast girl. I know the West Coast very well now, and, um, and certain parts of Alaska. It's a very big state. I can't know all of it, but I know parts of it. And uh, uh, I knew the West Coast from you know Anchorage through the Yukon, BC, Washington, Oregon, California very well. Very little time spent anywhere else. Mm-hmm. The East was a complete mystery to me. I've been to New York once or twice. I've been to Chicago. I'd been, uh, I, I drove as far as Rapid City, South Dakota. I got in a car accident and then flew the rest of the way uh, to Chicago and then back again to Seattle I didn't know the country I didn't know anyone in it I just went and I had really no idea what I was up against being in a new place with completely new surroundings and completely new people every day for a year does something to you and it's not an experiment you can ever conduct (laughs) <laughs> it would be too expensive, <laughs> but the world would be your control group. Um, you it's constantly just constantly throwing yourself
0: on the kindness of people too. Is that you ho- yeah. you're hoping that people and turn hoping out no to one be... breaks into
1: your car, and yeah. hoping no one attacks you, and hoping that um, your car read... doesn't break down. And a blog
0: that... post I maybe mean, this was more recently. Like your laptop got stolen. Like a whole series of things mm-hmm. happened all at once, and the people who support you, your patrons came to your aid all at once they
1: did unsolicited Mm -hmm. they were they are amazing that was not something i was about to ask for because they had just raised so much money for the kickstarter and the kickstarter bought me a new laptop because my other one was deteriorating and that was the laptop that got stolen just Mm -hmm. weeks after i bought it um i felt awful felt sick to my stomach Mm -hmm. and um and that was not so i i said that it happened with some sort of tentative almost fear that someone would start a movement yeah but what shocked me was um I was incommunicado then because I didn't have my laptop, no phone, nothing. I'm in Europe on trains. Uh, <laughs> going off of my analog like paper itinerary that I printed at the beginning just in case. Thank goodness. And yeah, really. Oh, paper, so reliable. Um, and I uh, uh, by the time I got to Dublin, or no, by the time I got back to Amsterdam, um, I was being told that I was going to have a new one and that they had fundraised almost immediately and without reaching very far, without even asking very far, they had fundraised enough for your
0: laptop. Among themselves. So among themselves. So among
1: themselves. I don't even know. Oh. I, I I have a list of the contributors and it's just stunning. It's absolutely stunning. I don't even know how to... Ugh, I feel like I should do something a lot more to thank them. <laughs> it's, everything moves so quickly. This is one but, of the
0: things I think that, mm-hmm. I, you know, I try to convey this without sounding like too emotional, too woo-woo, but I think emotion, I mean, it's not that it's wrong, but it like mm-hmm. there's a strong business component of this, of like crowdfunding, whether you do it through Kickstarter or you build your own patronage model or whatever, is that there's so much love behind it, and it's the love of, like, it's the love of arts. It's the love, it's not, you, mm-hmm. know, it, 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 it's the, you know, it's the brotherly love. It's the love of... It motivates people from their heart instead of from their brain and and I think that is a key component and it, it bypasses some of the limits and constraints we put on is that we're willing to come you know to people's aid or to be participate in these things
1: it blows my mind and it's it it really does it blows my mind and i at the same time, I rely on it, and I I don't. I mm-hmm. try to actually being confronted with it daily as I travel, with the kindness of the people who help, and with the kindness of the people who buy stuff. No one has to buy my stuff. It's so optional. <laughs> right, no one's exactly. no one is gonna live or die or eat based on what I make. And so every contribution anyone makes to me is completely voluntary. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can get it for free on the internet too. So I really um, I think it would be easy if I stayed far away from people to start to think that that was what they owed me and. That if they stole it, they were wrong and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But being confronted with it every day, uh, being in the, in the faces of, and with the people who keep me rolling, um, just constantly. I love that. It keeps me in this deep awareness and this deep, uh, gratitude that without all these, you know, the crowdfunding being an abstract term without the crowd. And these are the people in the crowd. I have nothing without their voluntary participation, um, without the gift of their attention. I feel like attention is a very valuable commodity right now. Everyone's competing for it. In some ways, it's worth more than money. And everybody wants a slice. And so when someone gives a little nobody like me a piece of their attention, and music is a slow unfolding thing that happens over time. When they give me three, five, seven minutes, an hour for an album's worth of their attention, that is really precious. And I don't plan to take that for granted. I don't plan to think too coldly about how to monetize that because I would rather um, think about the fact that these people are giving me out of some some kindness or some fascination or some whatever, uh, they are giving me the thing that everyone is scrambling for right now. And that is a gift from them that they do not have to give. I would rather live in a space where I think of it that way. There are other ways to think of it, but that's how I prefer to think of
0: it. You're in an incredible bubble. And I mean that in the best sense that it's so hard for most people to be able to make any part of a career or life art, whatever it is (laughs) inside of it and to be able to be preserved and, you know... And protected with your permission. You know, there's one mm-hmm. thing with people trying to cost it other people, and that's, you know, and protectionism and white knighting and all the other stuff. It's like you're an active participant. And this is what you're doing, but people are letting you live in this space in which you can be creative.
1: They are allowing it. They are allowing it. And without their continued allowance of, you know, for me to do this, <laughs> it's really true. Like it's it's really, they they permit it. And if I don't live in that awareness, I think I risk um, a whole, other, I don't know. A lot of behaviors that I've seen among other people, artists Mm -hmm. or makers or business people that I really dislike uh, when it comes to the way that they treat their audience. I think it's forgetting that right now um, I'm not competing with other musicians. I'm not competing even with other costs. I'm competing with, when I do a concert, I'm competing with staying at home and watching Netflix with ice cream. And that is also a good thing to do. You know, I'm not going to fault anyone for doing that. I'm, I'm competing with all recorded video that's available anywhere. Yeah, I'm competing with every other song oh that has ever existed. That's a I'm terrifying not just... Thing,
0: but it's true now, right? It's absolutely true. Spotify or radio or Netflix or like, uh-huh. every piece of media available at all I am time. competing
1: with every piece of media available ever. Oh my God. And when someone chooses to listen to my media, <laughs> yeah. I'm not about to get smug with them. You know, I'm yeah. not about to demand things from them. Instead, I would rather focus mm-hmm. on, and I tell people this a lot, but it's also a really terrifying prospect for me. Um, I, I would rather focus on making something so good that they respond to it the Mm -hmm. way that I responded to Firefly, right? I want to make something, um, really good. I want to make something that people can't walk past in the street without turning their head for a second, you know. And that's important to me. And I've I've put in my ten thousand hours. I've put in my time, you know, learning music. I don't actually have many other skills. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this, um, this is it, and you're lucky. You this is like it. Well, do it. Well, now. but I,
1: I also like I I worked on it from from childhood through college in a very intensive way, you know. I was not necessarily a great music scholar when it came to music history or music theory, but I was a practitioner. I was spending 40 hours a week most of my life in rehearsal, um, even when I was in full-time school for other stuff. And so I've, I put in my hours and I, um, got to study with some amazing people. I was privileged to meet incredible musicians and my parents are amazing musicians. Mm. They both are really exceptional artists and exceptional thinkers about art. And I think that to some degree right now with all of available, all of recorded everything ever available to your audience at all times, um, what's awful but also empowering is that the burden is on me to make something interesting. Yeah. That's the final word. I mean, if I don't make something really interesting, who am I going to blame if they go somewhere else? I really can't. I really can't. I, I have to make something um, good. I have to make something worth listening to.
0: Also making something New. There's this great yes. bit in one of the Hitchhiker's Guide books. I forget which one, where uh, one of the characters has become immortal by accident, and, um, <laughs>
1: yes. and
0: it's uh, I forget is there something the infinitely prolonged, and uh, he's. Traveling through space, he's decided to insult everyone in the universe alphabetically. Yes! Because he goes <laughs> I love from space that. to space, you know, his computer, and this Out is, of boredom. Yeah, this is before <laughs> Netflix. He's like, you know, what's, what can I watch? It's like, we've only seen this movie 50,000 times. It's like, oh, Lord. but something new is a very exciting thing. And I, I, mean, I think this brings us to the next. There's a next stage there is that something fierce, you recorded and released it, and then you said, all right, this was the stage where you said you wanted to go to Europe. You wanted to do live recording. You talked, uh, you decided to re release. Something, uh, to release something oh, yeah. fierce. We're
1: releasing something fierce on the Europe thing. We're actually two totally independent decisions. Oh, I see. Cause um, you've got
0: that. Well, there's the Marion call European adventure you? quest for a live album. So that was one. Oh, I'm sorry. That, that is that was fun. One I, I recommend component. people go
1: watch the video cause that is the weirdest <laughs> darn little Kickstarter. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, we. Uh, I did a Kickstarter to go to Europe. And here's why. I did it not to make a live album. I didn't particularly, like, that didn't interest me that much because I don't like live albums that much, frankly. Um, but my fans have been asking for a live album for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And it's no trouble to make one, right? Mm-hmm. My live performances are really different than the CDs. And uh, I also am moving on to new music. I wanted them to be able to have enshrined a copy of This is the Song the Way I Performed It at This Time because I'm moving away from performing that song. Um, so I wanted to do it for them. I had fans in Europe who were, um, who had been waiting for five, six years at this point for me to come over there. Mm -hmm. You know, long time hardcore donor circle members, people who just loved the music and who had been waiting and waiting and waiting. I'd I'd gone all 50 states, gone all over Canada. You know, I've almost, I think next year I will have probably been to all 50 states twice, if like Delaware will give me a show. (laughs) Um, And Europe was still sitting there waiting. And I knew that I had a growing body of people over there who were being patient really wanted to go to reward them and to build something there and to get back to Europe. I love Europe. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite places. I feel very at home, especially far North, you know, way out in Scotland on the Isle of Skye. I'm like, yep, I could, I could do this. I could do this. This is where I, I'm from. I will point <laughs> like, out
0: to listeners who can't tell. She has red hairs. There may, uh, be, yeah. some, there may be some heritage <laughs> issue here.
1: My, my family uh, has family reunions sometimes. And they, they the range of reds and brunettes is really fantastic. Yeah. It's fun. It's very fun. Um,
0: you want this is a way you so but getting over the getting over the pond takes a little I knew more it was a Kickstarter effort. situation yeah. um,
1: and I <laughs> thankfully someone made me make a spreadsheet it is very easy to mess up the numbers on the Kickstarter yeah um, and a lot of people do, and a lot of people yeah. go crazy with stretch goals. I was one of them. My stretch goals got me in trouble.
0: I was looking at your stretch goals every time I talk to a musician. The issue of compulsory mechanical rights seems to come up. It is a hilarious thing, is the like doing covers, right? Wasn't that part of the Kickstarter? Yeah, stretches? and that
1: actually, I had, um, that was not too much the problem. I had mm. enough money for that, all right. Yeah. What I didn't was uh, I had a recording. I had a band cancel on me yeah,
0: for oh, a recording session yeah. in a
1: studio for two oh, days. My. Band canceled. You can't back out on that recording studio time. And that was
0: dollars burned. Right? Was
1: yeah. Well, well about a thousand, but that's a oh, lot okay. for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a lot. That's a lot. I didn't have to invest. So about a thousand dollars burned mm-hmm. and I produced what I could in that time, but it was, you know, we just had a guitarist come in, but I could have done that in my living room. Yeah. Right. And, um, so that was, so I burned through some, a lot of it that way. I mm-hmm. had a couple different recording, sort of errors while recording the cover songs. And that was frustrating, but those were also, those were stretch goals. I was going to do them. I I have most of them like, uh, partially or wholly recorded at this time. I just posted an update about that. Um, but mostly here's the thing that I think most people forget to calculate. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of people get in trouble with this. Um, a lot of people forget, uh, you know, everyone's like, Oh, well people forget the 10% for, you know, Amazon and Kickstarter and then the 15% for taxes. No, no, no. Uh, beyond that, the costs always wind up being a little bit more than you yeah. think, which is why I have a donor circle and not a Kickstarter for an album, right? Yeah. I don't ever want to tell people exactly how much it costs because it's hard to know, first of all, exactly how much it costs when you're doing a project over two years. Like how much of that is you being able to live at home long enough to edit this, you know, mm-hmm. just paying your bills long enough to sit in one place for a month so you can work on it. Uh, is that a, an album cost? And uh, the other thing is that you don't want to tell people how often you have to do things over you don't want yeah. to do things over and the more money you have the more you can be sure you won't have to but when you don't have a ton to invest in the first place i'm afraid for me it's it's been you know medium common to have to go this didn't quite come out I only had one hour to capture it in a bad space with a bad microphone. Yeah. You know, so, you have to so, do it over again. And so that takes like time. The, it takes the, money.
0: The buffer wasn't big enough. Or the, the buffer was very tight for you the buffer to was, fulfill. The buffer was
1: very tight for mm-hmm. the recording to fulfill the obligations. The rights do not cost that much because I don't sell that many copies. So I don't have right. to. I mean, if I'm buying the the digital rights, I mean, usually those licenses will be on the order of $50 a song, which is yeah. not bad. That's mm-hmm. really not bad mm-hmm. compared to the cost of recording the song. So that doesn't bother me. Um, but uh, the other thing we ran into and i'm so glad we ran some models on this it really helped i had all my price points set for my rewards yeah. right and I'm only talking about this so much because I know a lot of people are interested in Kickstarter stuff oh, yeah. right now, oh, yeah. particularly is, people no, listening exactly to this podcast. Like
0: um, so butter. we
1: looked at how much money I was earning at each reward level, right? Yeah. So at the $42 reward level, I mm-hmm. am the, the Hitchhiker's Guide reward level, yes, of course. course. <laughs> um, Got to have a $42 <laughs> level. Um, I am earning this much in profit after yeah. you take out the fees and the taxes mm-hmm. and the cost of producing the goods. Like here's how much I'm earning yeah. with a little maybe take off a dollar or two for wiggle room, right? Yeah. And at the $65 level, I'm earning that much. Well, it's quite possible, depending on your rewards, at the $65 level to be earning less than at the $42 Mm -hmm. level and less than at the $10 level, right? That's easy enough. What if everyone floods your $65 level, which is a lower profit margin? Can you still afford to do the project? What if that is your most popular reward level and everybody gets it? For me, everyone flooded my $125 reward level. Totally a shocker. That's how we got so high. It was a USB stick with my complete recorded works, which is fine. Um, That's great. But that was also one of my lowest profit margin places because they were getting a lot of physical stuff at that level. And because the USB sticks wound up being way more expensive than I thought. And because I wound up having to do them all myself on my computer by hand because I did not expect to sell way more than 100. I thought I'd sell 30 or 40 of those, you know, or maybe 60 or 70 on the upper end. I made them all by hand. I hope hopefully some, they all came out okay. There's a good um, picture of
0: Rich Stevens who does Diesel Sweeties. Here's a picture. <laughs> he, that was one of his reward yeah. levels that turned out ridiculously mm-hmm. popular was yeah. a USB stick. And he wound up finding those places that will do – or buying devices that let you – write to a bunch of USB sticks because oh, yeah. there physically wouldn't have been enough time in his life to actually produce enough. Oh
1: music. yeah and you can get them done at a, at a studio that yeah. we, no, you can just send they them off to. to. The but the it costs so time. much more yeah, that yeah. I would have been losing a lot of money if oh, I had done gosh. that. You know the, the difference between the shop mm-hmm. duplicating them and me duplicating them that was too even though it was only a couple bucks yeah, per unit that was level. too much. Yeah. So being popular at the wrong level can tank mm-hmm. your Kickstarter and you might not even realize mm-hmm. it because if everyone flood so you need to run a bunch of different scenarios in which people flood to this reward that you didn't expect mm-hmm. does your kickstarter still fund can you still fulfill all of your rewards because the the cost of the rewards always winds up being more than you think the time you put into the rewards the other thing that got me um i don't mean to give the impression this was unsuccessful by the way no, <laughs> we, no this is. A, it was very successful kickstarter talk to a lot
0: of people about kickstarter it's just the it's the especially the first time and when it's bigger mm-hmm. than you expect the, the expenses are, are higher right? there are problems
1: the expenses are higher when it's bigger than you expect and yeah. it was way bigger than i expected Um, And it was also uh, my laptop was stolen while I was in Europe. And all of these rewards were promised to deliver right after I got back from Europe. So uh, I got back. Um, I got a new laptop, thanks to the incredible people who helped me. And but I had none of my photos from the trip. One of the biggest oh, yeah. things I promised was a log yeah, yeah. of the trip with all the stuff. And I had planned a, a pretty serious, I'm, I'm going to deliver a nice thing. This is not going to be a little dear diary. You know, I had planned a very nice thing. The final product was gorgeous, but it was not, it was very late because yeah. I had no pictures. I had, I had lost, and it was kind of, I mean, there was a bit of a grief element to it too. Right? Yeah. Uh, and then, um, so I got home, the computer hadn't been backed up since August because i have been traveling yeah, since yeah. August And I uh, just didn't do it because I'm an idiot. I don't trust the cloud. And, you know, I still don't, but now I've learned that there's a cost to not trusting it that is greater than my mistrust. So I hadn't had my computer backed up and I had lost thousands of emails. I had lost so much productivity. I'd lost a lot of, um, uh, so much stuff. And so I had to start over and what I didn't pay myself for, I paid myself for like a month after the Kickstarter to make the rewards. I didn't pay myself for the two or three or four months that it would take. So after I ran right. into you know, December, January, then I had to stop working on the Kickstarter rewards... And I had to go fundraise and go tour and go do other things real quick. And then I'd come back to working on the Kickstarter rewards, could only do that for a couple weeks. And then I had to start fundraising again and going doing other things. I couldn't just, I didn't have enough time that I'd pay myself for to deliver. I might have had enough time if the laptop hadn't been stolen, but that's a purely hypothetical question. And probably no is the answer because everything takes longer than you think. Um, So all of that being said, um, I actually premiered the video that was one of the biggest uh, stretch goal components Last night at our concert in Seattle. Oh,
0: hey, that's great. Congratulations. Yeah.
1: Oh, thank goodness. Jeez. I also didn't, you know, like we paid to get the video made, but we didn't pay for the editing and all that that came (laughs) afterwards. You know, it's like, it's, it's the time to make all the stuff we didn't pay ourselves for really. And, um, that's
0: classic first Kickstarter though, especially when, as well, if you, if you only done mod- you were setting out to raise the amusing sum of $11,111, if I recall correctly,
1: because that would have been the minimum to get to mm-hmm. England and back in a way that was not risking a lot financially, right. because I didn't know what our reception would be like over there.
0: And if you'd raised $11,112, it actually would have probably been a very modest project and it would have, the timing and everything would have been yep. fine. But having raised uh, well over $60,000, it became everything scaled up, but so much of your time was required that you hadn't planned for because of the, yeah. the skill Even plus, simply plus managing up. the Kickstarter itself, yeah,
1: yeah is it it so much time that it's I lost
0: working
1: it's, on that other stuff. It's, it's great, there's, but the thing is, um, there's a backlash.
0: Mm-hmm. After
1: you raise that much money, not a negative backlash. For me, it has been for some people very negative, but for me, there was a backlash in that. So my my donor circle suddenly no longer has skin in the game, right? Right. I'm okay. okay. I'm supported. I'm taken care of. I've just raised sixty thousand dollars. I'm rich. I'm fine. Except that I'm not keeping any of that money, <laughs> um, and <laughs> you know, and uh, every I,
0: dollar is a caterpillar plus some.
1: Oh yeah, plus some, and you, in the end, you you quote lose money, except mm-hmm. that you got to do all the stuff which can earn you money in the end. Like I have a thing, I have a new CD I can sell, etc. Right. But um, most of the copies I would have sold went for free to the people who were most right, interested in right. getting them because I backed the Kickstarter. Um, so like I, it got the project done. Mm-hmm. It got the pro- That's what it's for. The Kickstarter is to get the project done. But after that, people withdraw support. Just like, uh, did you hear on Radio... Oh, God, Radio Lab had a great, great piece on, on blood and on people who donating blood. Oh. No. And after disasters, people rush to donate blood. But yeah, blood yeah. banks freak out yeah. because they can't keep blood beyond right, a right. certain amount of time. Everyone donates blood after a disaster, which is not necessarily when they need mm. it, because usually not that many people injured. <laughs> There's 48 <laughs> you people injured, and blood banks right? everywhere are yeah. flooded because people want to do something. And then that winter, everyone's already given blood, and so they don't. And then the blood banks are out oh. of blood. Blood. So this is a normal wow, thing. And wow. I thought that's exactly what happened yeah. to me. So the Kickstarter happened. It was amazing. I got the project done. I dilute slowly and surely I have delivered the pieces and um and it's been it's been so much work and I keep having to do other things in the meantime mm-hmm. and it's just stretched out, stretched out, stretched out. But all the pieces are being delivered and all the pieces are good. As my friend Mike Salaker told me. Um it's only late once, it's bad forever.
0: <laughs> so do it good.
1: So I've done them good. And people will forgive, and, uh, people will
0: forgive you the late part because they know that... If you
1: keep communicating yeah, with them and exactly. if, if the product is the good, face, if you deliver, mm-hmm. if you don't, if you fulfill your promises and that's what way. is going to happen. Yeah. And, and so, uh, and I plan to write a lot about all of this, but mm-hmm. not until every last piece of it yeah. is delivered because I don't want to be complaining. And here I am talking about it, but we'll see. Um
0: but this is where, and I guess I'm confused. The, the re-release of Something Fierce, tell me where that fit in into this because oh, you're self-releasing so re-releasing that's
1: not that interesting oh, that? Oh,
0: right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we were i had finally made a product that i felt comfortable pitching as as yeah. like to a larger market like oh, say it's more not like super famous market because that's really out of my reach yeah. i'm too weird for that let's face it um half not of my anymore. songs half of my songs are six minutes long so it's not gonna oh, happen okay. yeah um <laughs> that's right. but there's Nobody the sort of the triple right. and npr markets, those kind of places, you know, would really work for me. The tiny Desk concerts, that kind of stuff. So we were aiming at those. Which we were aiming a, at E-Town. A, we were aiming at...
0: We're reintroducing this album. It's not... It wasn't a new recording. It, it wasn't a new... Yeah. Well,
1: I hired a publicist mm-hmm. and we, we were going to push the album. Yeah. But you really can't push the album without a release date. Otherwise, no one's yeah. going to write about it. You're not going to get paid to do an article yeah, about you yeah. unless it's a release. So it's very normal, actually, for bands to do a second mm-hmm. release Is is what I understand. So we were doing a second release. I was getting the fans hyped up about it. It was yeah. great. And unfortunately, the Europe trip funded so well that I wound up being in Europe during the release. It was like the last week of my tour. It was real, and this was like wonderful, but a disaster. I can't release an album while I'm in Europe. Yeah, it's not yeah. going to work. It also turned out to be the same week as Hurricane Sandy. And the
0: election. (laughs) (laughs) Or or
1: I guess the week after.
0: I had a friend whose Kickstarter, uh, Matt Boers, who Mm -hmm. I interviewed earlier um, on this series, and his Mm -hmm. Kickstarter started before Hurricane Sandy. And he's convinced it cut the life out of it because he's a lefty, he's doing editorial cartoons, and people most willing to do things for good causes. All the money went to relief, which is and as it which should. is where it should go. It's, so he it's funded it. Like he unhappy, knows it kept the start out of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, they
1: might be giants. Released an album on September 11th. Oh Carr was Mint Car. Dave Barry
0: produced a book. His book came out as. Yeah, yeah. As it's, well. it's 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 like, that's just sometimes oh, it it's when too. these
1: natural disasters are times when you just sit back and take a backseat and go, right. well, that artistic project right. was right. ill timed, and there's yeah. nothing else you can say about it really. So and that was um, so we tried it. We uh, mostly I wanted I felt like I ought to I had produced something really good. Something fierce is the work mm-hmm. I give people. That's the one I'm proud of. That's the one my blood, sweat, tears, and all of my artistic knowledge are in, and I'm very, very proud of it. Um, and it, pro- it will probably be a while before I get to produce something like that again.
0: And I will tell it li- listeners it's a lovely album. You should go get it. And one of the nice things about living in the future is that you can go to Marian's Bandcamp page and you can listen. You to can it be all. listening
1: to it in the background while we that's talk. Right. You even you listen to
0: it. That's right. Yeah. Think, think of her music. But it's so easy. When I went to Bandcamp, when mm-hmm. I went to buy the album, it also it's I like, go oh, there and it says like how much do you want to pay? I mean, here's it's a fifteen dollar album. What do you want to pay for this too for downloads? And I mean, that's even yeah. like that's a scary and interesting thing too to be in that position.
1: I'm 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 into it. I'm I am it.
0: How much do people pay on average? Do they people do? I mean, there's that more, more on more, average, yeah, more yeah. on average. It's I a good think deal. Frequently, two, people look at the number albums. of
1: tracks and just pay it all mm-hmm. for that, yeah, and I usually price yeah, them a little it's less. Like
0: twenty? Is it twenty tracks across two mm, albums? Nineteen, uh, I think. Yeah. So it's yeah. That's what I, I paid twenty dollars because I, yeah. was like, this, I was like was like fifteen dollars. somebody releases their own music and it's two full albums. You know. <laughs> well, that was thank you. Thank you. That was thank my reaction. You. Like this is a deal. That's what I want people to do, though.
1: I want people to ask themselves for one second how much is this worth? Yeah. You know, that's what I want people to do. And, um, because I like their answer better than mine because their answer <laughs> is the real one. The market says my product is worth zero, right? right? The free, the cold, hard free market, which we love so much. It says that the value of my product is zero because it is infinitely duplicatable and people can get it for free mm-hmm. and they don't need it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I had to accept that. I had kind of a come to Jesus moment where I had to really accept that yeah. and believe it. And then I was free to move forward. Right? <laughs> that's uh, I was free to move forward. And then I said, "So, the, so the answer to this then is that whatever people define it as being worth, they're right. And if someone who joins yeah. the donor circle defines it as being worth a thousand dollars, they're right because yeah. that's what it's worth to them. And if someone's looking at that little bandcamp page and thinks this is only worth a dollar to me, or this is worth zero dollars to me, then that's true in that mm-hmm. moment for them. And uh, I, I want people to ask themselves that question because I think that that's going to be very important to the future of all the arts." I think I think compelling people to ask themselves what it's worth, mm-hmm. and educating them about what it's worth, is going to be sort of an outreach component <laughs> of of most artists' careers and of, of ultimately the major labels too.
0: People are getting there though, little by little, and so oh, I uh, think
1: they are. They definitely are.
0: Marion, what's your what's your future? You have a, strangely enough, you have more mm-hmm. touring on the future, don't you? Here coming up.
1: Strangely enough, Strangely enough, shocking. enough shocking I'm almost over. done for this year. Um, I, I kind of have a I have a real home base now, which is nice. It's taken a few years to get there. It's still only barely, you know, it's still starving artist situation, but it's good. It's all good. It's sustainable. That's that's mm-hmm. the goal. It's barely sustainable. Someday, I will define fantastic success as someday being out of debt and having health insurance. Um, mm-hmm. That might be possible someday. Now. I, I used to think it was impossible. <laughs> now it might be possible. I don't know. We'll see. Um And uh, so next, I am actually interested in... I've been touring and touring and touring and touring. Mm -hmm. I'm getting older. (laughs) I can't sleep on floors so much anymore. And I am needing to make some art it's time to sit down and make Mm. some art without having to interrupt it every five minutes to go places and to do booking um and this year i'm going to attempt to um i think i'm going to really reopen the donor circle for another big project that was open for a big project that lasted a couple years that's what it's time for again i know what i want to write i've written some samples of it already it's a big work it's not a small work and i just want to raise some money not through kickstarter just through my own you know, my own old school, use the PayPal tip jar method. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to fundraise enough to stay home for a little bit to write it and to be able to collaborate with some other people to make it real. Um, and that is a, that's a big project. And for me, oddly enough, for most people traveling, is the most expensive thing they can do for me. Staying home is the most expensive thing I can do, but thankfully it's not that expensive because I live, I live, uh, you know, artist life, (laughs) properly bohemian. And, um, a bear got into our garbage tonight. Apparently, back home, um, <laughs> it's the last the last uh, gas before they go hibernate. We Bats only have them.
0: coyotes in Seattle. We can't we're, we can't compete with bears yet. Oh, this
1: this particular bear has been on our back porch all summer. It's just
0: been, like, <laughs> this is the most Alaskan trouble. thing. He's trouble. You can deal but with. it. There's
1: a video on YouTube of the last last summer a bear was on our roof right downtown in the center of the city. He was on our we were on the second story. He was on the roof outside our house, which was also kind of oh our balcony. Gosh. And uh, we don't live there anymore, but the bear was was on our roof. And we were trying to keep him there so he wouldn't go run around downtown and cause trouble. And they tranquilized him. And briefly, we thought they were going to have to carry him through our apartment. And he was a very big, smelly bear. And we did not want them to do that. But they wound up managing to get him over the roof and down,
0: down this, the stairs. This is where you live. Alaska, this is where I live. Alaska, and this is where I need to stay state. for a
1: while to make some more art. And that is the expensive thing for me. So I need to... Um, I'm. And I'll be looking into more traditional stuff. I have an established body of work now. So we're looking at... I'm I'm talking to arts councils now and real Mm -hmm. grown-up organizations like that. They're so great. I think independent creators forget those are out there, like official sort of organizations that are designed to help artists. And one of my friends just got a writing residency that's just for a week. She has a normal job, but she just got a one-week writing residency up in Port Townsend to write poetry uh and uh you know another friend has gotten you know just three days away at a retreat to paint. and that's such a gift is time, and time is hard to raise money for, but there are organizations out there that understand and support that, and it's now that I have a body of work, I'm courting them, you know saying I need to um behave like a grown up and I need to uh <laughs> start having grown- up meetings with arts councils about how I can make this happen and um, it's
0: time to set time to settle down a little bit time to time to put the wandering a little shoes bit, little hanging bit. Up for a little bit at least Well,
1: well I mean for me that looks like going down from 200 plus days a year of touring to 100 my goal is 110 and yeah. that seems very still like not very much to make a living but I will try well, if you,
0: you can find Marion on the road you can even invite her to come to where you're at and I'll put links to her site it's just Absolutely, marioncall.com
1: or twitter is where I'm most active that's we where we find her, at Marian her. Call.
0: and uh, you can find her and thank you so much for being on the podcast
1: thank you Glenn, it was wonderful absolutely wonderful
0: you can now support the production of this podcast directly by becoming a patron at patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com Support us at a level of $1 or more per podcast. At higher levels of support, you get our on-air thanks and more. We'll be adding more patronage benefits over time. You can also sponsor this show. Visit podlexing.com, that's P-O-D-L-E-X-I-N-G, for more details about how to get your product or service in front of the attractive and clever listeners of The New Disruptors. Our theme music is by Jeff Tolbert, who you'll find at jefftolbert.com, and our audio engineer is Michael Warner. Our podcast audio is hosted by SoundCloud. We are a production of The Magazine, an electronic periodical for curious people with a technical bent. Find out more and read free articles at the-magazine.org. We're also a happy part of the Boing Boing family of podcasts. This podcast is licensed under the Creative Commons by NC, 3 license. Feel free to distribute it intact and with attribution to us by linking back to our site. We only ask if you don't offer it for sale. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman. Please join us again next time. Thanks for listening.